I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, and this is Launchpad, where I talk to successful entrepreneurs about the secrets to launching and growing their startups. I'm happy to welcome to the show Drew Lakatus, founder and CEO of Active Protective. Drew, thanks so much for coming in. It's great to meet you, Carl. All right. Well, the first thing I want to do is point our listeners to your website. It's a it's an unambiguous domain, so it's just activeprotective.com. Drew, give us the elevator pitch yeah, for sure. Active Protective. Absolutely. Thanks. Um, so, so what we've developed is a smart belt that can determine human falls really accurately, and we are deploying airbags around the hip so older adults don't break their hips. All right. Tell us a little bit what what it looks like. Okay. It's a uh, it, it looks like a belt. Um, it's It weighs right around two pounds. Mm-hmm. It has some sophisticated motion sensors inside it. It has some airbag material, of course. Mm-hmm. And then the buckle is, is very unique and interesting uh, because we're working with a patient population that had that would have trouble with push buttons and clasps and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have to disguise some hardware, mm-hmm. right? There's an inflator in there, a cold gas inflator, which is something, it's sort of like a CO2 uh, cartridge. Uh, we have to hide that somewhere in the belt. So the the actual buckle itself is a is a unique piece of engineering. It hides mm. some hardware for us, and that inflator itself allows us to create this unique clasp that's able to be uh, easily operated by older adults who mm-hmm. might have reduced dexterity in their hands, and and uh, they might have trouble operating uh, you know push button type clasps. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And in terms of dimensions. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, an inch or so, a couple inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, slightly less than than two inches, I guess, tall if you yeah. think about it. And uh, you know, the width of it as it wraps around your body is about a centimeter. Okay, you know, it's it's pretty uh, pretty small, really. All right, yeah. and I I want to get back into the tech in a minute, but mm-hmm. let's let's talk about the customer first yeah. of all. So, who's really your target? Yeah, so. So uh, hip fractures is a devastating injury. Mm. Um, most people have had it affect their families in, in some way. Uh, few people actually step back and just take a look at and, and look at kind of the big picture statistics. And, and hip fractures actually kills more people than breast cancer and car accidents combined in the U.S. annually. Wow, which it, is about how many? Yeah, 75,000. Wow. Yeah. Um, it is, uh, if we talk to our parents, if we talk to our grandparents, uh, when we get that age, you know, a, a hip fracture is, is, uh, it's a topic of conversation. It's, mm-hmm. it's the number one fear of older adults. Mm-hmm. Um, second, uh, to, uh, I'm sorry, the, the second greatest fear of older adults is dying. Mm-hmm. The first one in a British medical journal was actually falling and breaking their hip. It's yeah. the number one fear. Yeah. But if I, if I think about this in sort of a nerdy probabilistic sense, uh, I would guess there are 50 million people who are in the target age range, right? So yeah. if if I'm losing 75,000 a year, do I really want to equip 50 million people? So how do, how right. do you think about that question? Yeah. And, yeah. and that would be similar to a uh, you know, medical uh, prescription, right? So, yeah. so uh, yes, there's 45 million older adults over the age of 65. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at different ways of identifying the highest fall risk patients. You know, you, we, there is a certain patient population that is motivated. Mm-hmm. They've begun falling. Maybe they're they're rehabbing after a hip fracture or a hip or knee replacement. But there's also other identifiers such as the types of medications that you're on, uh, fall history. Uh, and, and, and basically medical history that, that allows us to identify very specifically who would benefit most. Mm-hmm. And um, our, our, 
our target market is senior care providers, you know, they already have systems in place. They already have assessments in place that accurately categorize folks for fall risk. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that we're targeting first. Yeah. And, and given your threshold, about how many people are there out there that fall into that category? We're looking in just the U.S., probably about 7 million people yeah. that could be identified high fall risk, already identified high fall risk, mm. just in the U.S. Okay. And then how did the economics work out? How, how did, first of all, how, how is it, what's the business model? Is it you're selling a device, basically? It, yeah. it, it, yeah. it is a device. Um, the closest analog, there's kind of two markets emerging. So, so one is your traditional medical market. The other is these, you know, sort of a private pay mm. with the close analog being medical alert pendants. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the medical alert pendant business, it's a multi-billion dollar industry for device uh, that calls a caregiver after you've fallen and sort of wrecked yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, our belt has all that same functionality. So it has Wi-Fi, it has Bluetooth, it has alerts to caregivers. Wow. Uh, but it also offers that life-saving hip protection to it. So, right. so the business model for that larger direct-to-consumer market is is a subscription yeah. at a slight premium to to uh, current medical alert pendants. Uh, on the on the uh, medical side, if we're looking at you know rehab after hip implant, knee implant, or hip fracture, uh, that itself that's about 1.5 million Americans mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. You know that may be a, a slightly different model where it may be uh, part of that episode, part of that rehab after after the uh, the hip fracture. Yeah. Um I have I have older parents. Mm-hmm. Uh my father's crazy. He's at 80 years old climbs mm-hmm. ladders and stuff yeah, like that. Yikes. Um yeah, exactly. So as as a as a kid of the of of those parents, what what would I what would I pay? I mean, give me a sense of what this would cost uh and how the subscription works. Yeah, we we're, yeah. we're going through actually we're doing a a, a pricing analysis right mm-hmm. now where we're reaching out and you know, we are a very thoughtful evidence-based company. Mm-hmm. So um the 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 target, you know, for a you know a device like this is somewhere again. Medical or pendants are thirty to sixty dollars a month. Mm-hmm. A month, uh, we're looking at maybe seventy five dollars, maybe a hundred dollars, mm-hmm. depending on the care setting, depending on uh, the capabilities that are in the belt. And and that would be it would be subscription only, or would I also pay an initial fee for the device? Uh, for that for that direct to consumer model, it's not likely there would be any upfront costs. Okay. It would just be very, you know very simple. And and again, if if we're looking at um, there's a couple things. So, so mm-hmm. obviously, the mission of the belt is to protect hips during a fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that you know, a, a byproduct, but a very great byproduct, is restoring confidence uh, to at-risk older adults, yeah. uh, so that they can restore whatever mobility they had or increase their mobility. Mm-hmm. So, um, so if we look at again in the rehab setting, uh, in the post-acute setting, you know, the belt has some capabilities not only just protecting them if they eventually do fall, but also restoring patient confidence so mm-hmm. that they rehab, you know, harder and faster and, and end up with better outcomes at, you know, day 90 after the episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, great. So let's circle back on the tech for just a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, if if I think about an automotive airbag, one of the hardest problems with automotive airbag is disambiguating accelerations in order to figure out when to deploy and they've worked super hard at creating sensors but they only have to worry about a single direction basically it seems like in some ways an easier problem for them how do you detect do you just look for 9.8 meters per second squared or something like that i I wish it was that yeah how how do do you know that i'm falling yeah Yeah. and that's um you know the, the technology that we have you know 
there's tremendous industrial design behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really fun playing with airbags, mm-hmm. like the three-dimensional curvature, the tuning it such that yeah. it's quiet and can be used indoors, all that stuff. Yeah. That's all interesting. But the real science of what we're doing is is determining accurately uh, a human fall in progress. Right. So what it's looking for, uh, and, and we've had 236 older adults wear the belt, uh, some for as long as 28 days in our mm-hmm. last study. Mm-hmm. And we've captured 6,000 hours of motion data. Mm-hmm. And what, what the algorithm is looking for is, um, like you said, d- disambiguated motion. So mm-hmm. out of control motions, when you've fallen outside your cone of stability, that's one criteria. Uh, the second criteria it looks for is the person is falling, would this be a hip impacting fall? Mm-hmm. Right. So that's the second piece. The third is, uh, does it exceed a threshold that would likely injure the person? Mm-hmm. So just like back to your, uh, when you described car airbags, you know, car airbags don't go off below a certain threshold. Mm-hmm. They are required to go off above uh, 22 miles per hour mm-hmm. above another threshold. So, so we have looked at, you know, one of the, the benefits of our devices, there's been so much science on studying hip fractures, um, hip fracture thresholds. Mm-hmm. So that third criteria is really, once we've exceeded a, a threshold that would likely injure the hip, you know, we deploy a two and a half inch air cushion around the person. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, not to get, well, we are going to get into the weeds here a little yeah. bit. I I sort of feel like I only know after I've hit the ground that it's a fall that's going to break my, break my hip. And um, so... Well, it sounds hard. So I, I guess yeah. I guess maybe the way to a different. Let me let me see if I ask a better post question, which is, what standard of evidence, what kind of proof do you have to marshal to be sure that you're actually delivering the protection in the promise? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and again, we're, so from a from a physical standpoint, uh, there is tremendous data on hip fracture thresholds. Mm-hmm. What forces would likely break a hip? Uh, there are passive p- pads on the market, so kind of like you can picture compression shorts with football pads right. in them, right? Um, based on those, there, there's international consensus testing apparatus of how you test hip pads, and we can design our airbag to attenuate impact force better than any other pad or, you know, that that yeah. physical piece. That piece seems the easy part. Y- it yeah. is. Okay. It is. The hard part is is the, uh, you know, infallibly determining right. that this person is likely to, to hurt themselves. So, so um, you know, from that in, and that's really been, you know, five years of development mm-hmm. in the making, 236 older adults contributing their motion data in all their, their activities of daily living and, and such. And, and like I said, 6,000 hours of motion data across that patient population. That's what we've done to determine, you know, what are uh, injurious falls where we, where we um, deploy on and which are clearly, you know, not not motion. So we've been able to do that across the data set that I just described mm-hmm. with uh, 100% specificity across 6,000 hours and 236 older adults. Mm-hmm. But how many falls would you have with that kind of exposure? Right. So so with with that falls what we've had to do cuz we can't we can ask older adults to wear our belt mm-hmm. in senior care centers for 28 days and capture all that data. What we can't ask older adults is fall for us, sure. right? Yeah. So so we've created a library of uh, injurious hip impacting falls. Mm-hmm. It might sound funny, but we we did that on on younger adults who wouldn't injure themselves in a way that wouldn't injure themselves. Yeah. But we've recreated hip fracture falls after studying closed circuit TV videos of people actually fracturing their uh, hips at senior care centers, yeah. and we've built a library of of well over a thousand actual human falls. I see. Uh, to mimic what would be. Uh, 
hip fracture type falls or injurious hip So that gives you falls. a signature that you can test it, against. It, it does. Yeah. So we, we, yeah. we compare those two data sets. Uh -huh. And with that, we have enough evidence that we've reached, we've, uh, reached a threshold where senior care providers uh, will pilot our device. All right. Yeah. And what role, just one last question, and we'll get out of the weeds on this. The What role does the FDA play in this? Yeah. So uh, uh, passive pads have been on the market for 20 years. They, they go to market as a as a protection device, mm -hmm. right, without making FDA claims of, mm -hmm. of hip fracture prevention. Uh, we're doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. What we're providing is a, is a belt that protects the hip during a fall. Mm -hmm. What we can show is, is evidence and recreating that international consensus testing apparatus to show that our pad attenuates impact for, force better than some of the best hip pads out there. Mm -hmm. uh, we can also share that there was a, there was a very large 1,800-person clinical trial of a hip pad that was able to reduce hip fractures by 84% wow. when they could get people to wear them. Mm -hmm. And that's the caveat. Mm -hmm. uh, hip pads... You know, our, our grandparents really don't want to wear yeah. football pads all yeah. day. So, yeah. so it, was, it was a tremendously successful clinical trial. It didn't change the outcome, which is no one really wanted to wear those things. Mm -hmm. So, so we're using when we when we talk evidence, uh, we're using our you know our algorithm testing and those bodies of evidence to show our sensitivity and specificity. We're also you know pointing to these clinical trials that show just how effective hip padding the hip is, uh, and then we've designed our airbag to exceed that. Yeah, Drew, take us back to the beginning. Where's this business come from? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've always I've always uh, liked early stage companies. Mm -hmm. uh, this is my third, uh, but had, you know, the the formation of this one actually goes back to a a Christmas party at my wife's hospital, um, where she had introduced me to her director of trauma at a hospital locally here called St. Mary's in Langhorne, PA, mm -hmm. and. Um, there was a, uh, she was the only one working that night. The rest of us, the rest of the, the hospital staff or the trauma staff was there, you know, for, for a Christmas party. And sure enough, a level one trauma came in. And uh, Dr. Buckman, who's the inventor and co-founder of the company, you know, looked at me and he said, have you ever seen your wife, you know, run a trauma room? And I said, yeah. no. He said, you got to go see this. So uh, sure enough, it, sadly, it was, it was a probably 82-year-old woman who yeah. had fallen uh, fell down a staircase. Wow. And uh, it was her Christmas night, you know, serving dinner to her yeah. family, and, and there she lay, you know, dying on this table. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll cut through parts of the story, but it was, you know, very sad. I went back upstairs to hang out with the rest of the hospital staff. My wife had to go tell the family. And and I shared this with Dr. Buckman. You know, he said, geez, what do you, you think? How'd she do? And I said, that was incredible. Do you know that woman's going to die? And he said, Drew, you know, if you're that age and you fall down a, a full flight of stairs, he said, I can tell that from the page. Yeah. You know, th this is the problem. And uh, proceeded to tell me, you know, he, he had run the, the Temple Trauma Center uh, down here in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm a gunshot guy. I'm a car accident mm -hmm. guy, you know, knife wound guy. That's what I'm used to seeing. I moved to the suburbs and this is what it is every night. It's older adults falling down and fighting wow. for their lives. Wow. And I have this idea. Right. So that was that was 2005. It took some time to see patents kind of, mm -hmm. you know, follow through to, to see some of the uh, contributing technologies, mm -hmm. you know, mature, including cold gas airbags. Yeah. So this isn't the pyrotechnical. It's not sodium azide. It is not sodium azide. Oh, azide. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. This is this is a stored gas inflator, so it's safe. Huh. Um, early in my career, I actually did airbag design, which is funny yeah. as this kind of comes full circle. Um, but, yeah, so, so we needed uh, motion sensors to get you know, ubiquitous and cheap, and we needed cold gas inflators to come along, and, and that this all looked very interesting right around mm -hmm. 2012. I quit my job and went after this. We wow. took our, our first round of funding in early 2014, and uh, we've closed three rounds, and we're about to close a fourth. 
Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because when I, when I talk about innovation management in teaching, the very first slide I start with is the Havdig um, mm-hmm. bike yeah. helmet, which yeah. is a bike helmet that uses airbags. Has, yeah. Are there other applications? Is there, has there developed, what are, I guess the way to ask this is, have, has the component industry developed to the point where there are a bunch of airbag applications and you can just source these? Or are you engineering from scratch all of this? Yeah, Yeah. so, so we're actually back in our second round of, of funding. We took it, uh, a large investment from one of the biggest airbag companies in the world. Yeah. So, so we, are, we are backed by a company called Key Safety Systems. It's uh-huh. a multi-billion dollar company and, and they really help us with the, with the development of the product. Um, but yeah, there, there are different applications. So the Havding is, is, a, is a neat one. It's a unique one. Um, they are now coming out with uh, uh, airbag jackets for motorcycle mm-hmm. racers and street motorcycle folks. So when they get ejected from the bike, yeah, they can reinforce their trunk and and uh, and take care of their neck. Um, there are some airbags in equestrian jackets. Wow. Um, there is now even a downhill ski racing jacket. So mm-hmm. if you're going 80 miles an hour down a ski hill, I don't know if you do that stuff. I don't. Not at 80 um, miles an not hour. Not at 80. <laughs> not at 80. Um, but yeah, if, if you go, you know, head over heels cause you're going 80 and you come off, you know, something it, it deploys and actually protects your body yeah. as you're, uh, as you're downhill skiing. Yeah. What let's, let's go back to that first phase where, wh- what kinds of questions did you have to answer before you felt comfortable going out and seeking capital? Well, um, the biggest thing for me, so my background is electrical engineering mm-hmm. and, um, this seemed like a more complex solution for, for, you know, a problem like this. Mm-hmm. So so I had to get comfortable with using technology to solve a problem because the problem wasn't the, the problem with, with with passive pads is wearability and usability and workflow. So, yeah. you know, particularly if you're in a senior care center and and uh, a person one of the residents has incontinence and they have to you know, change their garments 20 times a day yeah. or whatever, you know, uh, it, compression shorts that are directly against the skin become unsanitary and impractical. And, and there's just not enough caregivers to manage that. So, so I guess, you know, when I, when I look back at this, you know, that conversation in 2005, it took me, you know, quite some time and quite some research, you know, to, 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 to look at this and, 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 you know, ask, why are we adding, you know, sort of some complexity to, you know, what is a very simple thing? And and that's when you really have to look into sort of industrial design and mm-hmm. human factors and all the reasons why folks won't wear football pads all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they would wear them, they sort of have to be, you know, posterior or lateral. They have to be behind you. So you would mm-hmm. have to sit on, on them all day to cover mm-hmm. these types of falls. So the, so there's, there's real limitations of, of any type of passive padding and then I realized, you know, after after studying it for for a really long time, there's just that that's a that's a compromise. That's a solution that's just not going to work. Yeah. To wear these passive hip pads, and that's you know by adding some technology, adding some additional features, uh, that we can come up with a with a better solution. Yeah. But let me just underscore for our listeners because I think there's a general principle here. The original idea was articulated as an airbag, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that is often a rookie inventor move, which is you have a solution in mind and you that's your idea. So I'm gonna apply yeah. this airbag technology. And and you did a very professional thing, which is to say, well wait a second, let's go back to what's the problem it is we're trying to solve here. 
and be diligent in verifying that in fact this technology is going to is going to win that this isn't just a push so i think that's quite remarkable and quite unusual among among first time entrepreneurs maybe not among third time mm. entrepreneurs but I, I i i do want to just underscore that principle that you took the time to to verify that in fact this initial impulse about the solution was in fact did deliver benefits uh, commensurate right. with the complexity. Right. Yeah. Now, so, so the genius here, of course, is Dr. Buckman, who yeah. who saw this, you know, saw this long before the research supported it. Uh, just the same, we still needed other things to become cheap enough to make this yeah. an effective product. So, yeah. so you know, years had to pass. But if I look back at the original patent applications uh, that he filed. Um, it's really it, it's it's tremendous. Yeah. You know, what he was able to um, to see even before cold gas airbags had had you know come to market. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's quite forward thinking work. Yeah. Um, t tell me a little bit about that partnership. So mm -hmm. there, I've been in involved in a few where you have a clinician. A practitioner and an entrepreneur, and it isn't always that smooth. So, so tell tell me a little bit about the partnership yeah. and how it's gone. Yeah, it, it's yeah. been a good one. Yeah. So, so yes, uh, Dr. Buckman is is a is a trauma surgeon, head of trauma. Um, you know, has 150 publications to his name. Mm -hmm. You know, a very senior senior person in, in the field of trauma. Um, you know, to to take a concept like this, there there was a, a a period of time where this company was very research intensive, and and uh, Dr. Buckman could help tremendously as we looked for what the word that we used earlier, signatures. Mm. As we looked for signatures of normal human motion and looked for signatures of you know clearly aberrations, clearly disambiguation events. Um, you know, Dr. Buckman was was very instrumental in that. As this has moved towards commercialization, which we're we're knocking on the door right now of commercialization of this product, you know, this this uh, much more of a business um, uh, research needs to put a, be put around it. Um, the last two and a half years of real product development, not just creating an airbag belt, but really. Um, doing these focus groups, these user-directed research, all this this intense research, uh, spending hours with older adults, you know, looking at what uh, what would make them adopt a belt like this. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's a piece of product development that's very different than you know a medical background. Or, right. Um, so so that's that's where we've seen you know sort of transitions. I guess if I look at my relationship with Dr. Buckman, um, we've always had a, a tremendous amount of trust, you know, in each other. So. So as it as it shifted more towards a business, you know, and then now we're looking at commercialization. Mm -hmm. There's always been a lot of trust. When we look back at the early research and really proving out and coming up with these, um, the secret sauce, which is this algorithm that was very heavy on, on Dr. Buckman, and, and we've just had a lot of trust together throughout mm -hmm. the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess to underscore it, it's very hard to imagine doing this without a clinician on board because it gives you credibility. Right. It gives you scientific foundations for what you're doing. And it would be hard, I think, to engage a clinician who wasn't a partner because it'd just be too expensive. Right. Uh, right. So so it, it makes a lot of sense that you you, you, you did it this way. Um, t tell a bit about, I wanna circle back on the capital mm -hmm. raising. So I saw the website I think has you based in Allentown, but is that is that practically correct or or the, yeah that's yeah. that's a, it's a little old um, okay so so we have uh, or we something have, I saw yeah. maybe it wasn't your website right. yeah. we, we have yeah. space down here at, at Plexus uh, Innovation Hub down here in Center okay. City Philly it's all a right, med tech right. hub right. co working space all right all right so um, the question I want to ask is about it, 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 did you find I mean raising capital is always hard 
but tell us, walk us through a little bit of that journey and whether being in Philly, is Philly an advantage, disadvantage? Uh, just comment a little bit on that. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so you know, we, we talked a little bit about the history from 2005 mm-hmm. to 2000, end of 2012 when this looked interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, talked to my wife, said, mm-hmm. I think now is the time. I, I quit my job. So you spent um, seven years working on this in sort of background mode. Yeah, yeah just yeah, just yeah. sort of advising while well, Dr. Yeah. Buckman was kind of furthering yeah. the science. Yeah. And again, it was early. These cold gas airbags hadn't mm-hmm. really, there was, someone had to, to bring that to market, right. you know, before, because we can't put pyrotechnics on people, of course. So, um, yeah, so it was end of 2012. I t- talked to my wife mm-hmm. and said, hey, I think this is this is the time. Uh, I resigned from my job. A week later, we discovered she's pregnant with our fourth. Oh, so that was really, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how we got through it, uh, but then we began fundraising. And I, I yeah. figured it could take, I, I could get this funded in about six months. It didn't um, take six months. It it took 14, right? <laughs> so from when she was pregnant to delivering our fourth to I'm still working out of the you basement of the house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, but, yeah, finally we, we, we were able to found to find as an investor who I would take, particularly at that stage, take as much risk as I was taking. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, finding a an investor who will take somewhat of an irrational risk mm. uh, when I'm taking – no one's going to do it unless I'm taking the same irrational sure. risk. And, yeah. and I sort of proved myself uh, to do that. So, so yeah, we took in uh, our first seed financing in January 2014. It was 600K, mm. which allowed us to – uh, show on a larger basis and, and, and do much more research into this algorithm, which was the first piece that we had to solve. Yeah. Um, we had enough evidence such that, and, and at that point had attracted attention of the big airbag company, uh, such that we closed a second round in the middle of 2015, which included them, and that was uh, just right around $2.5 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, that allowed us to do the intense product development um, and really gear up and bring in uh, develop sophisticated relationships with senior care providers, and we just closed uh, another 2.6 uh, million in November. And um, you know, this week we're we're wrestling with a, with a few term sheets for our oh, f- for a large round to, to commercialize good. this. That's yeah. great. That's yeah. a great problem to have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so your answer is tough, but it's always tough, and you got the job done. So yeah. it, it, it was incredibly tough. Yeah. E- each of those rounds were tough, even even as um, as you move down that path and you hit those milestones mm-hmm. and you think, okay, geez, you know, this is more money than I ever thought we'd have. Like especially at the second yeah. round, uh, the milestones just get bigger. Mm-hmm. They become more challenging, and and uh, yeah, we've raised a little under six million dollars at this point, and we are about you know to begin pilots at at uh, one of the largest providers of skilled nursing in the United States mm-hmm. that's coming up in the next couple of months. Um, and yeah, it's uh, we we've we've moved this along quite well. Yeah, yeah, um, and, it is and never pretty easy. efficiently. Yeah. Pretty efficiently, I would yeah. say that's not a yeah. huge amount of money to yeah. get it to this this yeah. point. All right, well, Drew, remarkably, we're out of time. This okay. went so fast. So yeah. thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. All right, so the website again, activeprotective.com. Check it out and look for it soon. I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, on Sirius XM Channel 111. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes.